This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Rob Tombrella, pastor at Grace Church. In the New Testament, if you're new to the Bible, and we're at the 10th chapter, we're in a series called Multiply, talking about the expansion of the gospel to all people and all nations through people like you and me. And in particular, we are looking at how the gospel affects us in an area that touches all of us. And today I want to talk about racism. Now, I know as soon as I say the word racism, uh, you and I want to push back on that a little bit and remove ourselves from such a horrific term. Uh, but let me define it and, and uh, maybe it could help level the playing field a little bit. Racism could easily be, easily be defined as a prejudice, a discrimination, an antagonism towards a group of people as inferior to another group. And often when we think about racism, it's looked upon as this potentially intensely horrible disease that infects some, but we don't look at it like a common cold that infects all of us. It's kind of like the Ebola virus that springs upon people like Zimmerman or the Black Panther who put the hit out on Zimmerman, but not the daily head cold of racial profiling that you and I do every day. See, the sad irony of what unites a room full of a bunch of different people, and we are not that different here this morning, is our deep, deep prejudices. And if we're Christians, the desperate cry of our hearts to say, can anything overcome this? These scars that are in there. This divisiveness that so easily comes out of my mind and heart and mouth. What can save me from the inner racist that I am? Now right about here, there's always one or two people in the room that says, I'm not prejudiced. I can't stand prejudiced people. I hate those people. If that's you, just keep tracking with us a little bit and uh, this would be a great message that you could refer to your friend who is prejudiced. Today we're talking about how Jesus reverses our racism and he does it through three ways in the text today in Acts chapter 10. He does it through truth, he does it through revival, and he does it through repentance. Truth Revival and repentance. I'm not going to read the whole passage because we're going to be looking at quite a few verses here today. But let me pray and we'll get going. Father, on this topic, we need to be stretched. We need to be pushed. We need to enlarge the tents of our hearts. And uh, we need that uh, not because it makes us comfortable, Lord, but because it glorifies you and it looks a lot like heaven. And it smells a lot like the kingdom. And that's what we want to be about as a people Lord, we want to be a multi-ethnic and diverse people who love a lot of people who have a lot of different kinds of preferences because it looks like heaven. And so, Lord, let heaven touch earth here as I preach. Lord, through your word, would you speak to us? Will you you comfort us where we're afflicted in this area? Will you afflict us where we're comfortable? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so we're looking at Acts 10, and we're looking at verse 34. And I, I can't recap the whole story of what's taken place here to get us to where Peter is about to preach a message to Gentiles. Peter, who's a Jew, is going to preach a message to Cornelius' family who are Gentiles. And the way that God orchestrated the two of these people meeting up is just totally divine. Uh, God divinely goes to Cornelius and gives him visions and moves him towards Peter and divinely goes to Peter and makes these two people, literally makes these two people interact right up until this moment. And Cornelius, who is a soldier, is asking uh, Peter, who is a student and a fisherman, uh, to preach to him the gospel message. He's been waiting all his life for this very moment. And there's never been a more anticipated audience in 1034 where he says, So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. There, there is no preacher today that does not want to hear those kinds of words. There is, uh, there's nobody that is, is more prepared than this group of people who are saying, we're ready. We're right here in the presence of God and we want to hear everything that you have been commanded by the Lord. And I think there is potentially a, just a principle there of whatever we receive oftentimes is what we're bringing to the table of saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm eager to hear. And so even today, I hope that there are some here today that are saying, uh, Lord, speak to me. I'm in the presence of God and just command me, speak to me, um, do whatever you want to do in my heart. Well, that's, that's how they are. They are saying, Lord, I'm ready. Come on and bring your truth into this situation. And he, he does. Peter preaches Truth. And so verse 34 says, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the first thing that Peter wants this Gentile people to know him being a Jew is that God shows no partiality. And even as he says that, he's, he's confessing something that is just dawning on him. It's not as though he had this whole thing worked out for years and years, and now he's preaching the message that he has crafted over time. He is coming to a conclusion here spontaneously. It's a bit of a testimony preaching moment. He's saying, now I truly understand. I'm looking out at Gentile people, and I've seen God's divine hand orchestrating among the Gentiles, and I've seen how he has divinely moved me towards you, and he's done it among the Samaritans earlier on in the chapter, in in the book of Acts, but now he's doing it among Gentile people, and he says, truly, I, I get it now, I understand now, I didn't understand before, but now I get it, God shows no partiality, partiality means favoritism. Uh, being a respecter of persons, making evil distinctions, favoring one nation or one class over another class. And Peter's saying, man, I, I get it. You see, for years and years, the Jewish people didn't get it. They twisted election that God came to Abraham and he created a nation of people for his namesake and for his glory they, they took that and they twisted it into favoritism and racial pride and actually used God's electing love to teach and preach hate towards others and pride and favoritism. 
They forgot the other part of the verse that Abraham, I'm choosing you so that you're going to be a blessing to all the nations and all people groups. Over time, the Jewish people have forgotten that altogether. And we can do the same thing. I've seen it happen in every denomination. I've seen it happen in every church. Looking upon the great gifts that God has given, the great history, the great heritage, and, and stop thinking about the gift that that is and turning it into we're the best. We, we are the best. We're like the disciples that came up to Jesus and said, you know, who, who among us is the greatest? Because I know I'm the best. <laughs> I'm in the best church. I'm in the best denomination. I've been there. I've seen it. Every denomination, including this denomination. I've been to see it in Southern Baptist. I've seen it in Sovereign Grace. I've seen that attitude sometimes rise up. We're the best. Instead of recognizing the, the great history and heritage and what the Lord's done, it's, it kind of turns into this, we're better than the church down the road. Well, aren't, you know, God's saving some people in that church down the road. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're not really preaching the gospel over there. You know what I mean? You ever have that kind of attitude? This this kind of pride in what um, God means to, to, to be a gift? We kind of twist it into a favoritism. Well, in an extreme case, this is what happened with the Jew and the Gentile. One prominent author wrote an article in light of the, the Trayvon Zimmerman trial um, explosion that took place this week. And he wrote it this way. He says, the world of the first century was littered with racism and oppression. In the mind of a first century Jew, Gentiles, who were Africans, Romans, Greeks, Syrians, Asians, were created to fuel the fires of hell. When a Jew called a Gentile uncircumcised, he spit it. It was a name of profound contempt. If a Jewish person married a Gentile, the Jewish parents held a funeral service for their child. In their eyes, their child was dead. On the flip side, Gentiles regarded Jews to be subhuman. Historically, the Jews have been an oppressed people living under the thumb of one Gentile nation after another, whether that's Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or Greece or Rome. In all of human history, there has never been so much animosity, hatred, and violence between two groups of people as there has been between the Jew and the Gentile. So it's in this context that Peter, being a Jew, is preaching to Gentiles and coming to the revelation that God is not playing favorites. God is showing no partiality. God is moving towards people that they had historically distanced themselves from and created these non-biblical laws to try to keep them out, to keep their sin out, to keep their dirtiness out, to keep their customs out, their culture out. We want to get out of that. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you right into it. I'm going to send you straight into the culture. I'm going to contextualize you just like I came and contextualized among uh, a, a people that didn't deserve me. I became human and became one of you. I'm going to send you straight into the people that you have no idea that my spirit is moving towards in grace. 
So he says, God shows no partiality. And he says in verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Any, any, any nation, any people that owes up to the grace and responds to God's grace is acceptable to him to, to hear and receive and, and become part of the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. And then he goes on to be very specific and preach to them Jesus, which over and over again in the book of Acts, this is what what uh, what takes place. God sets up an audience and they go as quickly as they can to the person of Jesus. So look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, there could be no sweeter words to this Gentile audience than the name of Jesus Christ. So he's going to remind them of the oral stories that they've heard about Jesus Potentially what they've heard in the synagogue, but not where the Jewish people were in the synagogue, in the back of the synagogue, away from from God's favorites. He's going to tell them about Jesus and his unifying love. He says he is Lord of all. He says in verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee. After the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, it's very important that he tells the this Gentile audience about the good works of Jesus and his miracles and about how he was driving out demons and doing really good things because that's what they knew the Messiah would do. That's what a Savior does. Saviors do those kinds of things. Messiahs do those kinds of things. In Isaiah 61, the Messiah was going to have the Spirit of the Lord on him. He was going to be anointed to bring good news to the poor. And that's not just... Uh, society are economically poor. That means the people that are marginalized on the outskirts of society, which the Gentiles were of the day. And this, this Savior is going to come and, and preach good news to them. This Savior is going to come and bind up broken-hearted people, which the Gentiles were. This Savior is going to come to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening up of the prison to those who are bound and afflicted. And if you're bound, and if you're afflicted, and if you're brokenhearted, then there's good news. There's a Savior who offers Himself to you with nail-scarred hands today. And that's exactly what Peter is preaching to these Gentiles who, who want to know this God, they, who want to be set free by this God. And it's important to them that they know that this God came for them. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And then he, he goes on in verse 39 to say, And we are witnesses of all that He did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter says, I, I witnessed his glory. I saw it firsthand. And he says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he's talking about resurrection. He rose from the dead. He appeared and we ate and we drank with him. As real as you are in front of me is as real as the resurrected Christ was in front of me, Peter says. And in verse 42, he commanded us to go and preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So at first, Peter says, we thought it was just to the Jewish people. Like when, when Jesus says go, we, we sort of messed that up and thought the people were just like the Jewish people. But then he's like, now I understand that when he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, ethnos, all people groups of the world, the people must have included you guys. <laughs> You guys are are part of the people. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's the one who's coming to return. The one that every single person in every single person group must stand before one day. And the one whose grace is offered and extended to them. So verse 43 summarizes this hope that these Gentiles are hanging on With the summary that everyone, every single one who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There there couldn't be better news than that. There couldn't be better news for a Gentile. There couldn't be better news for you. Every single person who just believes in Jesus, this is the gospel, receives, get this, forgiveness from God. God who knows all, who sees all, who's seen all of our sins and failures will forgive by simply believing in Jesus. Everybody who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through not your family's name, not the Jewish name, not the Gentile name, not your good works, but through the name of Jesus. So he's hinting at this new race of people, this new spirit-given species of humanity that God is carving out from all the nations of the world. And so here Peter is both confessing and he's preaching that the love of Jesus touches down on all people. It's a revelation to him and it's a revelation to them and they're just hanging on every single word. See, this is the this is the way that Jesus reverses our racism. The only thing that's going to kill the inner prejudice that you and I all have, the only thing that's going to sever our nationalism, our tribalism, our sexism, is the overcoming impartiality of the love of Jesus in the promise that everyone who believes in him, everyone, every race, every culture, every people who believe in Jesus receives forgiveness. They receive the same gift of welcome from an eternal and loving Father who made them and who created them and who loves them and loves their culture. His impartiality, His love severs all of that in us. Now, if you're anything like me, I've been raised in the Deep South. um, And I've been prejudiced towards big categories of people in my life. I've been prejudiced towards black people. I've been prejudiced towards Hispanic people. I've been prejudiced towards Asian people. I've been prejudiced towards uh, pretty much anybody but people like me. Um, so pretty much anybody that didn't exactly have my exact skin tone. <laughs> uh, there was a time in my life where I had some form or flavor of a racist superiority, a, a prejudice. And so I grew up in a culture, I grew up in a, a kind of small town, southern fried Texas, where um, 
I heard things, I laughed at things, I went along with the flow of, of things, and I did not know the poison that it created in my own soul towards people. I, I didn't know that that kind of stuff has to be undone, sometimes humiliatingly at times, over the course of your life, if you don't resist it, if you don't overcome it, if you, if you don't look at the gospel in, in light of it. So, um, so yeah, I, was, I grew up in... In a, uh, in a thinking that I was somehow superior and that all good things that came to me must have been because of my own hard work and effort and had nothing to do with any unique opportunities that were just <laughs> handed to me on a silver platter. And so, uh, so I had these racial, racial things going on in my heart before Jesus changed me and started changing me and is still changing me. But not just towards uh, skin colors, uh, towards classes of people. I mean, I've been prejudiced towards poor people until I became that economic place. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, uh, I guess I'm, uh, maybe I'm that, kind of, I'm that person now. Um, folks that needed help from the government until I needed help from the government to make it. Um, yeah, and the problem with being racist or prejudiced towards people that are below you is that there's always somebody below you and there's always somebody behind, above you on the economic scale, always. And so you can always just, you're just always just prejudiced towards the person that's above you. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He just got dropped in his lap. And the person below you, he's just not working hard enough. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, even rich people. I've been prejudiced towards rich people. Um, and this affects all of us. You can just be just inner, innerly angry just because somebody has more than you have. Or they have more opportunities. or they've, um, They got picked for the promotion over you. So these are some big, big categories. You know, I've been prejudiced towards people with, with different sins than me and not seen any kind of <laughs> common denominator of our sins. So I could, at, at times in my life, nurture a hatred towards gay people. And people who struggle with same-sex attraction. But be totally uh, aloof to the reality of my own sexual immorality. My own temptation. I mean, my own sexual brokenness. And just look at somebody else's sexual brokenness and say, Man, those, those people are sick. And I look at my own sickness. And I look at my, my own problems, my own issues. And, and nurture a distance. And so come, somehow I'm just so different. <laughs> I'm just so different from that. No, I'm not. You, you're not either. See, see, God created us as sexual people. And because of the fall, because of what Adam did, and because of what you and I have done, we've all got broken issues in that category. All of us. And so um, it's easy in topics like that to kind of Go tribal and say, well, I understand and relate to people who struggle with this here, but I, I, I have disdain and hatred. God must really hate those people that have struggles with this here. And um, the doctrine of sin should inform us and the doctrine of grace should inform us that Jesus overcomes both of these issues and struggles. You know, I worked at a homeless shelter at one point in my life and I had, I had a hopelessness towards and an unbelief towards people who had addictions uh, on drugs, people who were just addicted to drugs. 
And I had disdain for people who, in, in their weakness, turned to cheap drugs on the streets. And while at the same time giving no thought to what I turned to in my hopelessness, what's accessible to me in my hopelessness that are a little bit more acceptable to, to society and just having this prejudice and seeing nothing, um, nothing common in our, own, in our own struggles of sin. You know, I've been prejudiced towards people's preferences. I mentioned the, the best church thing, the best denomination. And it's, it's a thin line to say, God, I'm grateful for where I am and what you're doing here in the history. And two, I'm the best. We are the best. We are the champions. And singing that in the church world, it happens all, everywhere. You're just, you're just singing, we are the champions. Uh, no, we're not. We're not the champions. We need God's grace. And God's doing a lot of things in a lot of different churches and denominations and places. And, and, uh, and you, can be pre- you can be prejudiced towards your preferences. I, I, I nearly severed a dear relationship because of my hard opinions towards public school. Before I even had kids. I don't, yeah, that's right. Before I even had kids, I had these strong opinions and, and vocalized that publicly to a dear family member. And it took years before I even realized that I had caused some really hurtful things and caused some division and uh, between somebody that I dearly love and had to repent of that. It was embarrassing to discover that. I didn't remember making those comments. I don't even... Uh, homeschool my kids, but I made these strong statements about this is... God's will for all people and, um, man. And so you can have hard opinions about your preferences, about non-crucial things and, and, and push people away and not even know that you're doing it. If you're doing that, stop that. Just stop it. Just, can I just say that? Just quit it. <laughs> Maybe I can't dig straight into your unique issue, but just stop, stop. Doing that, you're just gonna, you're just creating uh, distinctions among yourselves. I've done it with entertainment st- stuff, and without <laughs> this is sound, gonna sound so stupid, but it is stupid. Uh, I had this this thing about SpongeBob. <laughs> I kid you not. Can we talk? Can we can we put racial profiling and SpongeBob together in the same message? <laughs> I think you can, because I, I had this disdain for people who let their kids watch SpongeBob. Integration on society is awful. And now I pray for people who haven't seen Spongebob. It's a hilarious show. I, I, I made these opinions without even, without even watching it. If you come over to my house at 4.30, we're watching Spongebob. You're welcome to join us. But you can do that. You can take a preference and just moralize it, Right? And, and just slap on this over-spiritualist thing because we just want to be viewed as so spiritual. And, and maybe Jesus did lead you to, to make those choices. And maybe it, Jesus is telling you to tell people in a, in a glorious way how he led you to make those choices. But it's another thing to go tribal with that thing and, and start to push other people away. Now, why is this so evil? Well, it's so evil, as James 2 says, is because you become a judge with evil thoughts. So you'll remember the passage in James 2 where it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. Can you believe this is going on in the first century? 
Like you think this is going on in 2013 in Dallas, but surely it's not going on first century. Yeah, it's going on first century. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. In other words, if you do, if you make those distinctions, he says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not put yourself in the place of God in these, in these ways? And, and Jesus does not do that. And Peter says, that's why it's so evil. Making distinctions and partiality is, is, uh, we're called not to do that. And it's evil. It's called evil, James calls it. He doesn't mix his words. He doesn't say, it's, it's okay, just work on that. No, he says it's evil to do that kind of thing. Stop doing it. So the truth of Jesus showing no partiality and dying for every race of mankind should defeat our prejudice. It should be just one blow to where we naturally go in our preferences, our prejudices, and, and our racism. But look what happens. It's also through revival. Jesus reverses our racism through truth, but also through the revival that comes through that truth. So look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, what things? Forgiveness to everyone who believes in him through his name. Everybody gets forgiveness. While he's still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Note those words. Every single person in the room, every Gentile is leaning forward saying, we're ready to hear grace. And as soon as they hear grace, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And verse 45 says, and the believers from among the circumcised, that means the Jewish uh, crew who had come with Peter were amazed They were shocked and amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So note the key to this little section here. Why were were this motley crew with Peter amazed? What was amazing them? It was not the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that they received at Pentecost. It was not the gift of tongues in and of itself. As they're hearing them speaking in tongues, that is a gift of God, giving praise to God. Many people in this church have this gift. It wasn't the speaking in tongues or the extolling of God. It was the speaking of tongues and the extolling of God and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Note those words, even on them. Even on the Gentiles. That was amazing. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit should have been amazing. The gift of praise should have been the most amazing thing. But it's not just that. It's that on them. On that race. On those kinds of people. See, some of these Jewish people were taught to pray things like, I thank you that I'm not a woman or a Gentile. They were, they were taught to pray 
racist and sexist prayers. Prayers that aren't in the Bible. Because God hates Gentiles, don't you know? But as one author continued to write about the, how the gospel changes lives, he says, but alas, in the first century, there emerged a group of people on the planet who transcended this racial hostility. Here was a group of people who saw themselves as members of the same family. A people made up of Jews, of Gentiles, of slaves, free, rich, poor, male, female. These were the early Christians. The Roman world stood in awe as they saw people who hated each other begin to love one another and do life together in the name of Jesus. Watch them walking into the marketplace together arm and arm, singing with joy in their hearts. Jew and Gentile. Slave and free, rich and poor, male and female. Look at them closely. Jew and Gentile eating together, working together, greeting one another with a holy kiss, raising their children together, taking care of one another, marrying one another, burying one another. This fact blew the circuitry of every person living in century one. It shook the Roman Empire to its very foundations. The Church of Jesus Christ was a classless society. Its members didn't regard social status or color or position. For them, there was no Jew or Greek in the body of Christ. There was no slave or free. There was no rich or poor. But a multi-ethnic local church fueled by the grace of Jesus as a public testimony against racism. In reality, a multi-ethnic local church is the future church in the present. So if you look into Revelation, you see a tongue and a tribe from every nation on the planet giving praise and extolling God, just like what is happening here when the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And we get to experience that now, as it were. We get to, to see the future church right here in the present whenever we look to the gospel instead of our own Natural inclinations. Ephesians 2 summarizes it like this. You guys have heard this, and and sometimes I've heard this verse, and I've just used it in terms of of the the, uh, reconciling that the gospel brings between us and God. And that is true, and that's where it starts. But as soon as we're reconciled to God, note the demonstration of the cross and how it works. In Ephesians 2, Paul says it like this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who... Once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. In place of the two. He's talking about the Jew-Gentile relationship. He's saying one new Man, one new humanity, one new race of people. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's what the cross does. It kills our vertical hostility between God. We're not running from God anymore. We see God extended in love and grace towards us. We receive this love and grace and we're united to God forever. He's our father and we're his children. But then at the same time, mysteriously, he reconciles us one to another. So what unites us 
is that resurrection life of Jesus exists in a person who is extremely different than me. Who shares almost no preference that I share. Maybe it's maybe very different skin color, different upbringing, different thoughts on different subjects. And yet we're united because of the resurrection life of Jesus creating us into one new hue, one new humanity. Well, this is how this whole section closes. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. This major thing happens. Revival's taking place among the Gentiles. They're speaking in tongues. Peter can't deny it. They're speaking in tongues just like I'm speaking in tongues. How can we deny baptism to them? You can't. You won't. They get baptized. And then he stays around and hangs out with them. They're friends now. There's the common denominator of the Spirit makes them friends. So now they're friends. But Peter's got a big problem. He's got to go back to corporate and talk about his new friends that he's just made. So here's what he's got to go make a defense now to the apostles of what's happened. So look at verse one of chapter 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. You'd think this would be good news, but they just don't know what to think about it. Remember the racial divides. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. He knew he was going to get criticized. Then here it is. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Never mind the fact that Jesus did this his whole life in ministry, right? Never mind. We totally forgotten about that. That's such an easily forgotten reality. But Peter does it. And they're putting their fingers in his face saying, look what you did. You ate with them. What are you doing? You're going to get infected by them. Don't you know what movies they watch over there? Don't you know the books they read? Don't you know the food and the culture and the customs? That's not us. You ate with them over there. And then verse 42, Peter gives a well-crafted response. Note what, he, note what he says. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Peter began and explained it to them in order. That's what you do when you're in trouble. Kids, if you're ever in trouble, you start from the beginning and you tell the whole story of how you arrived at the conclusion. That's what he does. He starts at the beginning and he tells the whole story. Peter began to explain it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. So here's the first thing they can't deny. Peter saw a vision. God spoke to Peter. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice. So now God's speaking. Another thing they can't push against and deny. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, as a good Jewish boy, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. And uh, it's so wonderful that this happens to people like Peter because it happens to people like you and me. This happened three times. So he didn't get it the first time, didn't get the second time. But after three times of God saying to him, what God has made clean, do not call common, he gets it. And verse 11 says, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were 
sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So he says, God has spoken to me through a vision. He's given me his voice. And then he did this other thing over here that I was, it was totally outside of my control. These people from Caesarea heard from God and they came to me. And then the Spirit sp- spoke to me again and said, go with them and do not make distinctions. It's very important that he uses even that language with the, the apostles. Making no distinction, favoritism, partiality. Exactly what he preached to the Gentiles. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. And then he talks about how the spirit testified to all this prior and prevenient work. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. In other words, he says, do you remember Pentecost, guys? Remember that incredible moment of Pentecost? They had their Pentecost moment, the Gentiles did, in the household of Cornelius. The Gentile Pentecost I just witnessed. Because just like what happened to us at the beginning happened to them. And I remembered, he says, the word of the Lord. This is his closing argument. How are you going to mess with Jesus? I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? And by virtue of his question, who are you? (laughs) That I could stand in God's way. Or that you could as well. And when they heard these things... They fell silent. And they didn't stay that way. They glorified God, saying, Then, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Their whole doctrinal statement got shifted in a moment. Their well-crafted thoughts about the Gentiles just changed. They just take, took a big black marker and just wrote through several of their things about their doctrine. You've never seen such a quick shift in their doctrinal thinking ever take place in the history of the church than in verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also. And by virtue of to the Gentiles, all the Assyrians and Africans and Asians and every people group on the planet God's grace wants to go to earth-shaking, revolutionary conclusion that they're coming to. God wants to bring all these people in. God wants the message of the gospel going everywhere. God wants repentance being preached everywhere that leads to life. He wants to spread his life everywhere. And so they're, they're changed in a moment. We get it. There's no pushback now. So they're repenting publicly, even by their statement. There's this, that's what happens. This is how Jesus reverses our racism is through repentance and, and changing. But listen, change is not easy. It's not easy to be misunderstood by your friends. It's not easy to be misunderstood by family. It's not easy to be misunderstood by people in the church. Jesus was misunderstood. The Son of Man had a reputation. He got street cred among the tax collectors and the sinners, 
But among the religious people, they said, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they'd spit that on the ground after they'd say that. Not recognizing that he was not a glutton. He was not a drunkard. He was moving towards people with the redeeming message of God's grace and love to them. And Jesus says the same with us. As we take on this mission, as we take on this message to all people, Jesus says there's going to be t- come times when you're going to have to make a decision and say, is this race of people more important to me than my family name and my heritage? He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Do you remember that statement? Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying don't love your sons and daughters and your friends and your family. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you can't love them more than me. You can't put that relationship above the relationship that I've brought you in with me and the relationship that I've brought you in with other believers. Even people who are very, 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 very different than you. He says, whoever finds his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let me close by asking three questions. Is there any relationship in your life that you love more than Jesus? Certainly there are. Who? Where and why? Is there any prejudice that you're nurturing that brings more happiness than following Jesus? You know, sometimes if you've been sinned against, it feels really good to hold on to that anger. Doesn't it? Like maybe I can't do anything about it, but I can at least be angry about it. And you can't take that away from me. Some people have been seriously hurt, and that's not to minimize any real hurt or racial profiling or prejudice that you've experienced or just garden variety judgmentalism that you've experienced personally. That was evil, and it should not have happened. But you know the trick of the devil, the snake that will bite you, is to hold on to that anger like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay angry about it, and I'm just gonna let that live and sit in my heart, and I'm not gonna do anything about it. I'm not gonna resist it. I'm just gonna let that kind of settle somewhere deep in my soul, like a concrete. And and you can't take that away from me. Well, Jesus wants to take it away from you, because there's more happiness in relationship with Him being freed from it than any prejudice that you're nurturing. And finally, is there any preference or opinion? that unnecessarily pushes people away from you. And you, you, maybe you just keep want, wanting to say, man, it's, it's them. It's them. They just need to get on board with my preference. <laughs> if they just got on board with my opinion, then everything would be cool. But because they can't get on board with my opinion or my preference, um, I'm, I'm happy with them just kind of being pushed away from me. Can, can you ask some people to gently get around you and say, maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe it's me. Maybe it's my hardened opinion about something that's just unnecessarily 
know, as soon as that subject comes up, everybody in the room says, hit the deck. Hit the deck. You need some people to get around you and just lovingly say, I think you need help on this one. And and one and by God's grace, He's given us wonderful people who who are who are struck by similar issues as well. Because we're all broken people in here. Amen. We all have issues and prejudices, right? Right. Okay, let's let's stand and pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.